Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Tuesday, November 7th, and this is your FT News Briefing. WeWork is looking for a new lease on life, and PwC is cutting up to 600 jobs in the UK. Plus, the FT's Peter Spiegel reveals which city in the US is the best for foreign investment. Much to my surprise, I guess, we had a huge number of Texas cities that finished in the top 10. Part of it is their low-tax environment, they're business-friendly, a lot of loose labor laws. I'm Sonia Hudson, in for Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. WeWork filed for bankruptcy yesterday. It's the latest in a long list of troubles for the co-working startup that was once valued at nearly $50 billion. The FT's Sujit Indap has been covering the saga, and he joins me now. Hey, Sujit. Hello. Thanks for having me. So tell me about the main factors that led to this bankruptcy. What brought WeWork to the brink? Yeah, so it's very interesting. Adam Newman, who is the very famous eccentric founder of WeWork from many years ago, had conceived the company as really a tech startup that they could take this boring sector, uh, office space, and turn it into this tech-infused type of business. Um, But what was most interesting to me about that business model was that it really resembled a bank and that Adam Newman ended up signing up very expensive long-term leases in office buildings and then would rent out the space, sublease it to tech companies or startups or whatever. But those leases were very short-term. But in fact, Adam Newman's lease with his landlord in the actual building was for 15 years. And so that mismatch really became a problem after the pandemic when people weren't returning the offices, buildings were much less valuable. And so there was very little in rent or memberships that WeWork itself was collecting from its customers, but it owed these very big lease expenses to its landlords in the buildings. And so that just was unsustainable business model. Yeah, I mean, this big fall from grace has really just been incredible to watch. It wasn't that long ago when it felt like there were WeWork offices popping up on basically every corner of every major city. And you mentioned the company's founder, Adam Newman. What's his legacy in all this? Yeah, so, I mean, there was this sense, particularly before the pandemic, that if you were a charismatic founder, had a great idea of like these venture capital firms in Silicon Valley and New York were happy to just throw money at you. Uh, the only thing they cared about was growth. And so somebody like Adam Newman was just the perfect embodiment of that. He had this vision about just this boring office company that really could be a lifestyle brand. They were going to do schools and uh, all these other things like uh, co-living spaces. But as we fast forward to actually what went wrong, the ultimate basic nuts and bolts of running a business, making sure revenue is more than cost, you actually have enough demand for all of the office buildings that you're, you're renting. No one uh, was really paying attention to that. And then the company actually realized that it had to really be managed like a regular boring company. So do you have a sense of what's next for the company now? I mean, what is this restructuring potentially going to look like? Yeah, so the company uh, under its new management and has a very professional CEO now who has a very traditional background in uh, in private equity and has an MBA and everything we work really wasn't uh, several years ago in the Adam Newman era. Their view is this, that the actual idea of WeWork, Adam Newman's vision actually still makes sense, that people want flexible office spaces. It just has to be on a much smaller and more humble scale. And so the point of the bankruptcy is to 
reduce all these really expensive rents uh, and leases that they have, get it to something shrunken down, more sensible. But in fact, the business itself and the concept itself will go on just at a much smaller valuation. And with the tools of the bankruptcy code, they can do that. So what's the lesson here then? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a lot of lessons here. There's certainly bad luck for this company with uh, the pandemic and just these massive social changes around going to the office and that really they couldn't have predicted. I think the other lesson, though, is that uh, just how much of a herd mentality there is on Wall Street. Uh, again, in the Adam Newman heyday of five, 10 years ago, there was no need to be disciplined. It was all about growth and you could just get money essentially for free without really showing any proof of concept. And that pivoted very quickly, first with the pandemic and then this era of the last two years of high high interest rates where you truly do have to be disciplined and profitable. And it's easy in hindsight and retrospect to say, oh yeah, look how profligate and reckless these guys were, but they were rewarded for it. And then the world changed on a dime and uh, here we are now. Sujit Indap is the FT's Wall Street editor. Thanks, Sujit. Thanks for having me. PwC was the last holdout among the big four accounting firms when it came to major layoffs in the UK. But now, sources tell the FT that the firm plans to cut up to 600 jobs there, mostly in the company's advisory business. The problem is demand for their services has dropped. And on top of that, fewer people are quitting the firm to go to other jobs in different fields. So there's more employees, but less work. Deloitte, EY, and KPMG have also cut positions and frozen pay for hundreds of people over the past few months. The FT is out with its annual list of the best cities in the U.S. for foreign investment. And the winner is... Houston, Texas. In the past year, a host of foreign companies have announced plans to invest in the city. Houston is traditionally known as a hub for the oil and gas industry, but it's now become a center for green energy innovation. Here to talk more about the rankings is the FT's U.S. Managing Editor, Peter Spiegel. Hey, Peter. Thank you for having me on. So, why did Houston win? Yeah, I mean, what we have done with these rankings, we, we ranked every city based on sort of seven overall categories. And, and Houston didn't really stand out in any one category, but they were sort of a, an all-rounder, right? As you said, the oil and gas industry that has been there historically means there's a really strong educated workforce there that foreign companies can come in and pluck from. They have a big port that the companies can use for their own needs. They also happen to have things that are a little bit below the radar, like they have a very good economic promotional authority that brings in companies and, and provides them incentives and support once they come in. So they were very good across the board and really had high marks in almost every category we had. What other cities made the list? Much to my surprise, I guess, we had a huge number of Texas cities that finished in the top 10. You know, part of it is they're low-tax environment, they're business-friendly, a lot of loose labor laws, so sometimes it's easier to do business there. But they sometimes are less able to produce the kind of skilled labor that some of these companies need. The flip side is you get some of these northern cities, Pittsburgh being a clear example of that, Seattle, Boston, which both did fairly well. Those are cities where the business environment might be less friendly if you look from a tax and regulation perspective, but are hubs for universities where the, the talent pool is really deep and, and we'll get companies choosing those locations for that reason. Peter, what are some of the wider trends that we're seeing in terms of how foreign investment is changing? 
Well, look, we can't ignore the impact of the Inflation Reduction Act, which is the green legislation passed by the Biden administration last year that has given a huge amount of incentives for particularly the auto EV industry, the electric vehicle industry, and then the battery industry. Because a huge portion of, of the change in the last 12 months has been because of investment in EVs and batteries. Just last week, North Carolina announced that they had probably the largest investment by a foreign auto industry in modern history. Toyota announced an $8 billion battery investment in North Carolina. And, you know, someone sort of on the offhand way said to me, you know, these, these states used to be the Bible Belt. We're now calling it the Battery Belt, right? And that is what the big trend we've seen over the last 12 months. Foreign investment, but big headline investment from car companies, battery companies in the U.S., and almost all that is tied directly to Biden administration policy. And why do you think we should be looking at foreign investment at this point in time? Well, I, I would say the U.S. is a big economy. And it is, in many ways, the one economy in the world where domestic consumption and domestic uh, production outstrips anything that can be done abroad. So, you know, naturally, when you focus on a, a domestic economy that is huge— you focus on domestic investment. But what we were seeing over the last two, three, five years is that foreign multinationals, if they want to be play on a global level, they have to play in the U.S. And we just didn't think that, that kind of stuff was getting enough attention. There was also a lot of issues um, surrounding national security and, and foreign policy. We have a story, uh, a couple of stories running on our report today that focus on the difficulty of Chinese companies that are not involved in that security do any business in the U.S. because of the nervousness about China. So there's there's just been a growing sense that foreign companies in the U.S. not only present opportunities, but present challenges, and a lot of these issues have been overlooked just because traditionally when we look at the U.S. economy, the U.S. companies are so big and so dominant, we haven't needed to look at the foreign companies. Peter Spiegel is the FT's U.S. managing editor. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me on. You can read more on all these stories at ft.com for free when you click the links in our show notes. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. From a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.